There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable. With stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey podcasts, how's tricks? Talking of cats, I'm staring at my cat, Kinnicky, while I talk to you. He's, um, he can't understand what I'm saying, but he does look pretty terrible these days. He's such a lovely cat. He's very sweet. And we've had him and his sister Rizzo since they were kittens. So Kinnicky is 17 now. And he's just suddenly got really old and dodgery. And uh, he just had to start some thyroid medication and some painkillers for his hips. And oh, little Knick knocks. He's just lying there having a little snoozle. But yeah, I do feel a bit concerned about him. Anyway, I'll keep you posted if you're interested in, in the health of my cat. Um, I had a really funny thing yesterday, actually, where the vet called and said that another of our cats, Titus, was at the vet. And I was out, so I phoned Richard and I said, you need to go and pick up our cat. He's been found in the road, apparently he wasn't moving. And I said, that's a bit strange, but he seemed okay, the vet said. We just had to go and pick him up. So I hung up, Richard said, you go and get him. And then when I got home, the vet called me and said, we've still got your cat, Titus. And I rang Richard and I said, why didn't you pick up Titus? And he said, oh, after I hung up from you, I saw Titus in the garden. I was like, you sure it's Titus? How can he be in two places at once? And he says, pretty sure it's our cat, he's sat in the garden and eating cat food. And anyway, when I got there, it was Kaniki. Microchips had got muddled up, which made a lot more sense because Kaniki is the sort of cat that would probably now sit in the road and not move. Anyway, that was a very long story about my cats because I said podcasts, and that's what made me think of it. You 
may or may not want to know about all that, but what you probably do want to know about is about my guest today. So the guest for this week's podcast is the amazing Hella Thorning-Schmidt. Now, Hella is a um, lovely woman. She has two daughters in their 20s, and she was the first female prime minister of Denmark. Um, and she's a very infectiously optimistic pragmatic, outward-looking woman. I really enjoyed her company. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, she is the sort of person that just makes you feel quite sort of positive when you come away from the conversation and that there's room for change. She also worked as CEO for Save the Children for three years. And um, when I asked her about how it was to, to handle knowing all the awful things that can happen to children in the world, she just said, yes, but you have to believe, and it is true, that every day the world gets a bit better for children. And I thought that was a very, what's the word? It really summed up her attitude to life, I think, and the ongoing optimism and, and positivity that surrounds the projects she embarks on. So what else do you need to know about Hella? Uh, we spoke in her very sunny conservatory. She lives in not far from me in West London. Uh, she is married to an MP, uh, Stephen Kinnock. Uh, he's the MP for Aberavon. And we had a lovely conversation. I just really liked her. She also, like me, is a bit obsessed with transport. We spoke a lot about City Mapper <laughs> and how much we love the app and about our love of the tube and buses. Um, in fact, everything kept going back to transport quite a lot. Anywho, you're going to hear it now. Why do I need to tell you what's in it? You're going to hear it. You're here. You're waiting for it. Stop talking about your cats and what you talk about. Let's hear the conversation here. Let's see you in the Well, thanks so much for having me over. So excited to have you. It's so easy for me. Coffee on the table. I'm in my own house. Yeah, it works yeah. for me as well. And yeah. it meant that I get to see you have a kettle and a toast that I actually looked at as a birthday present on Christmas. They are cool. Mine. We love them, actually. Yeah, Every the Dolce & Gabbana yeah. ones. They're I, very we, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> they are. No, it's okay. Yeah. They're a work of art. They're like something Yeah, they are. And something you use every day. I like, I like things that you use every day, like the Hesse's like an artistic thing to it or a design yes. thing to it. I think that's really part of my me being Danish, that everything has to look good like this. That things have to look good. Well, that's interesting because I think that here in the UK, I think we've got better at that. But I think it's still a relatively recent thing that we've sort of understood that everyday items can also be something really beautiful. Yeah, and that's what I'm... I mean, I'm not like... I'm not really into housemaking or making... I just like everyday things could also be beautiful and very practical. Yeah, I suppose, especially in the last year when we've been home so much. You have to look at those things all the time, yeah. You your, get the your most kettle is beautiful every morning. It's a good time to yeah. invest yeah. in a beautiful, exactly. beautiful taster. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of things I wanted to talk to you about. I think I might start with the sort of current day. What have you got up to? What are you up to at the moment? What's keeping you busy? Well, I'm up to loads of things. Um, when I stopped in politics, I was a little bit overwhelmed by and confused about what I should be doing. And I knew that I need to stop in politics. I didn't want to go back to being the leader of the opposition. I didn't want to just sit in parliament and uh, see time go by. So I knew I had to change um, and find something new to do. It's also a factor that my children were getting bigger and I was approaching 50. So that I think that's a good time in a woman's life to, to look at your life and ask, what is it I want to do? So I gradually, uh, I mean, also by chance, I got offered to be in Save the Children as mm. uh, the CEO of Save the Children, three years that I really enjoyed. 
learned so much and uh, and got into that charity world that I hadn't been engaged in before, but obviously looked at from the outside and mm. admired. And then after that, I wanted to do something completely new. Uh, and uh, that's taken me into, I guess, a portfolio of, of, of jobs where I'm um, a non-executive director on various boards in Denmark and the UK and the US. And I'm right now spending a lot of time on Facebook's oversight board where we're looking into the content Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, uh, yeah. and where they're asking us not only advice, but actually we take decisions on what should stay on the platform and what gets removed from the platform. And their general way of treating their users and uh, applying their content with their own community standards. So that's what I'm doing now. So is that Facebook worldwide or is it in Denmark? It's Facebook worldwide. Wow. Uh, so and Instagram, yeah. And Instagram, yeah, because it's the same thing. So, so basically we look at how they apply their own community standards how that goes hand in hand with human rights law mm. uh, and how they are also treating their users. There's been so many instances where Facebook has not told their users why their content has been removed or there has been people who are who don't understand why content does not get removed from the from the platforms. Mm. It's a constant discussion, of course, because you have to strike this balance between freedom of expression yeah. and someone else's human rights. Uh, so you can't have absolute freedom of, of, of expression yeah. that has to be balanced out, out with other people's human rights, for example, their rights not to be bullied or harassed or uh, in, be in immediate danger or other human rights. So this is what Facebook has to do much better and the Oversight Board is uh, is made to to create that ba balance uh, better and more transparent than it, than it has been until now. Well, that's really interesting because I guess those those platforms have become bigger and bigger and more and more powerful, you know, year on year. It's like exponential growth in yeah. terms of how dominant they are and where people get their information, where they exchange ideas. Um, so I guess the board you're on, it's an independent advisory, is it? We're independent. We're set up by Facebook, but through an independent uh, trust. I mean, I'm not paid by Facebook. They can't, they can't sack me. Uh, <laughs> so I think we are independent. But of course, it has to be said, we are set up by Facebook because they paid the original sum to the independent trust. Uh, and what they want is to, is to get more transparency mm. on how they moderate content. It's an extremely complex issue. It is. And of course, you can discuss how these big tech companies should be regulated and I think mm. there is a place for regulation but content is very hard to moderate from any government because there are so many governments who want to actually decide what can go on these platforms well, it's a powerful tool, yeah if, if you, you if you look to Turkey or Russia or Myanmar right now there's nothing then policymakers and governments want to do more than to actually decide what can go on the platforms yeah but then you you also will stop freedom of speech for so many people who suddenly have gotten agency and a voice that didn't have that before yeah i mean i suppose by and large do you think it's a, a more much more positive thing than a negative thing in terms of how it's structured i think it's so important to balance these things out mm. I, social media has given voice to so many people who didn't have a voice before yeah. just think of black lives matters movement or the me too movement where you could create communities online yeah. where we could never reach each other yes. without social media But on the other hand, you have also seen groups that are that promotes hatred uh, and false news. So it is a balancing act. Yeah. And we have to discuss how should we actually moderate content online, but also know that if governments do it uh, in certain countries, that will actually stifle 
voice and exactly. uh, and stop that agency that so many people have have gained through social media look at hong kong look at belarus uh, yeah. ukraine other countries where where people have gotten a voice because they can go on social media and create groups and discuss things and find each other yeah no that makes complete sense to me and it's like you say you're looking almost to create a, a balanced society there but it has to be something that can be taken across all these boundaries and in all these different countries yeah. where they have different ideas of how that should work and how people should be able to express themselves. And I suppose that comes back round maybe to something that I was reading about how you were an activist from a really young age and the idea of like one voice making a difference is yeah. obviously something that's a bit of a through thread. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's one. I, I mean, I became a feminist when I was 12 and I was active in what I would call school politics when I was really, really young. And it comes from a, my parents who were always saying, if I came home at, at the dinner table, was complaining about something in school or whatever, they would always say, so what have you done to change it yourself? Which is brilliant. I love that. Yeah, which is quite cool because that, that means cool. that even a 12-year-old has to go back into school and and ask the teacher, could we change this or could we change how you're teaching this class or mm. something like that? And I did that all the time. I was probably extremely annoying. Uh, and uh, But I did that because it was about how can you engage to change your own life and your own community in your school or wherever you are. Yeah, but I guess also it's a really healthy way of actually viewing politics because I think sometimes when we're brought up, we're sort of encouraged to see politics as almost in its own little box of being, you know, politicians and the cynicism that can go along with how decisions are made. And, you know, I, I used to know a woman that was always, oh, oh, I don't vote, they're all liars, you know, just a sort yeah. of real us and them kind of a way of thinking. Whereas if politics is just encouraged to be seen more as just being involved in the world around you and looking to voice if you think things aren't fair or aren't right, that, I think then we're all political, aren't we? We are. <laughs> I mean, and I, I really want to promote that way of seeing politics and that's why I think it is important to engage children in politics 100% and give them their, a voice that was that was been a leading thought for me always that mm. children has a right to have a voice uh, in their own lives uh, for example if there's divorce going on in their lives children have a right to have a voice in their schools and wherever they are they actually have to have a voice and young people as well we're so it's so easy for us to always talk about young people as they don't want to engage and they don't care about anything, they only care about themselves. I don't see young people like that. So we have to be really vigilant to, to listen to children and young people and give them a voice in, in all everything that concerns them. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes when you hear things said from young people going through stuff, they have this real clarity and urgency to what they're saying that can be much more affecting I know. than any other rhetoric. I, mean, I always remember in the shooting in America at Sandy Hook and one of the students spoke and she said, I want us to be in the history books, not because we were another shooting, but because of the last shooting. Yeah. And that to me, like even now, this gives me yeah. goosebumps because it, I just thought, what a beautiful, clear statement yeah. coming from something that's, that's not about politics, that's just about a way that kids should not be being, you know, life yeah. they shouldn't be subjected And it, you to. say it's not politics, but it is politics. And I think that's so important that everything is actually politics. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I'm always worried when I hear about young people not voting yeah. and uh, also women uh, not voting because there are so many decisions that get taken that they need to influence because it's about their everyday life, about buses and transport and yeah. how we work and childcare and 
everything is politics. So I really hope women will engage in politics and young people as well. Do you think that growing up in Denmark was a slightly different emphasis then or do you think you were just quite an unusual kid to be taught I think there's a different emphasis because people are so engaged in, in their community, uh, in their, in where they where they live. And I used to say when I was leader of my party, which I was for more than 10 years, that I shared a leadership, an elected leadership title with one third of the Danes because <laughs> they do like in their uh, building society, there's someone who, who runs that uh, in the schools, uh, in the chess club, in the sports club, there's always someone who's elected to run it. Um, and I think that's politics as well. If you engage in any way in running anything in your community, you are actually... Uh, community leader uh, and a community organizer and and that's politics as well so i i always think that there's a huge engagement in your own life and that feeling that i i can actually engage and change yeah how what i what it what what's happening in my community yeah no i think there's so much about that i really agree with and i think it's funny because after the brexit vote i remember having this overwhelming feeling of i've got to make sure my kids are always engaged with what's going on in the yeah. world around them. And and also that idea of focusing more on what unites us and a common shared group, rather than this very divisive, very oh, binary I love that, yeah. us and them. It's so dangerous. It's, yeah. it's being encouraged way too much, I think, to think you're either... Everybody thinks they're right about the decisions they've made like that. So that thing of sort of pointing at people and being like, well, we don't see eye to eye. But actually, if you sat down and spend time with people, yeah. you've got much more in common Absolutely. than you've had. Absolutely, and I, I so strongly believe in that. There was, some, there was a debate, I think, here about how you could not, how a Labour person could not be friends with a Tory. Uh, Sometimes and, they're even married. I know, it can actually happen. <laughs> and I just, I was baffled by that whole conversation because, of course, you can be friends with, with people from an, another political background mm. or another social background, whatever. And I think we need to encourage that conversation yeah, much, debate. much more. The debate, the dialogue, the find, finding out what we have in common. Uh, if we haven't learned anything from the last year since 2016, I don't know what it should be rather than we need to have a conversation with each other and try and understand each other. Absolutely. And in your family, so were you an only child? No, I'm the, I'm the last of three. Okay. Uh, which played a big, I mean, made a difference for, for me as well. It was a big family. Um, and my mum mom and dad got divorced when I was uh, 10 or something. So that was a big break in my family as well. Yeah, that's very significant, particularly at that age. Yeah, it is, yeah. old enough to be able yeah. to take it in. And so I, I've heard you speak about your mum and how you've really... Yeah close with her and this was probably quite a it tends to be like the foundation of your relationship if you've been through something like that I think in the yeah also time. because there's no doubt I moved with her mm. um and and my brother my sister stayed with my father which is something that you did back then but not oh, you wow. wouldn't so do you that all stay together no that was a, a bit she chose that because I think it's because she was 15 she thought she could go out more she stayed with my father <laughs> and uh, and go to more parties so Uh, it was a weird split of the family. So you didn't spend time in each other's... Yeah, we did, but it wasn't like it is today where you live somewhere. Right. So I, I was really... My base was with my mum. We spent time with my dad and we went on holidays and stuff with him. Um, but I, it was very based. My life was very based around my mum and her values and uh, a lot of what I am and what I've learned, I've, I've learned from her and her hard, hard years because it was hard suddenly to be on your own and... Mm. 
you know, be on a, a much smaller income and move to a smaller flat. And uh, she didn't have her own room. She slept in the living room. Um, and uh, so it was a big change in our lives that they, they decided to get divorced or that my dad decided to find another uh, another woman, lovely woman, but, but at that time we couldn't really see it. Yeah, no, that's... No, especially when it's your mum, all you think about is yeah. your mum. And so she was working throughout all of that time. She was well. working. My mum has always been working. Um, and uh, that was the way I was brought up with a very hardworking mum who tried to learn more in her job and moved up through the ranks in her, her profession. So, yeah, I always... I, I can see her coming home, you know, we didn't have a car. So she was walking back from the supermarket with these heavy plastic bags mm. of groceries. And I can see her coming in and before she even put anything down, she put the water on to boil the potatoes because things had to move on in the family. We had to get the food. And she was, she was a very hardworking woman. And I think I learned a lot from her from being hardworking, but also trying to be present in the family life. Yeah, so what was the thing at 12 that made you realise you were a feminist? Is there like one specific incident? I guess actually it was the, the divorce in many ways that made me realise that things were not equal between the two of them. I mean, my dad stayed in the big house with a car. He kept all the friends because that was how things were back then, that friends had felt they had to choose side. Uh, we suddenly found ourselves in a small smaller flat uh, and not so much money and uh, so I just saw that inequality from mm. a child's perspective and these were also this is the um, mid and late 70s and and there was a lot of movement in women's uh, discussions back then and there was you know new music coming in where you could uh, where women were forming bands and singing about these these issues so that really made a big impact uh, on me and my sister was six years older. Uh, they were talking about women's issues. And I remember lying under the table and listening to those conversations. So it was a very strong thing in me. I became a feminist before I became political, much, mm. much before. So that is actually the, the ism that I've taken with me all through life, basically. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, when you have something in that time in your life, like that time when you're just more you and your mum and taking on you know, so much from her and deciding that, you know, as you say, sort of becoming more into the political way. It's been such a defining thing. And then it can be quite strange when you bring up your own kids and then they haven't got that same experience. So you think they're going to have to do something really different because, I, you know, it's a different experience. I know. Home. I mean, I, I, I think that our children's life, my children's life is very different from, from mine, but in a, I don't think it's better or easier or, or anything. It's just very, very different mm. uh, but you, I also hope that I brought some of my mum's upbringing with me because I think she did some really good things for, for us. But also there are some differences uh, in the way that I try to influence and bring up our daughters. So uh, what was happening in your life when you had your first baby? Uh, I had my first baby, Johanna, uh, who is 24 now, um, in Brussels uh, when I was working in Brussels. And I... Remember that time mostly because I was very alone. I had friends, but none of them had children. And if I had had friend, uh, children, my first child in Denmark, um, I would have had my mum, my sister, my close friends who were also pregnant having children back then. I would have had a support structure. Mm. But I didn't have a support structure when I was in Brussels, so I had to sort of invent everything myself. Um, and I went a bit nuts for a while. Because I was very much alone. I mean, I, I remember if 
if Steve, he went to work, if he didn't come home exactly the time that he had said he would come home, I'd do a, I mean, a massive crisis about that. So I think I went a little bit mad being so much alone. And that also formed the basis that I wanted to, to get home, wanted to get to Denmark. And uh, yeah. so we changed our plans a bit after that. Yeah, well, I think it's incredibly isolating. Even if you have got friends and family nearby, it can still be quite isolating, I yeah. think, that first baby. But particularly if you're in a different country. And I can totally imagine that thing of looking at the time and thinking that they should have been home 20 minutes ago. I know, but what is that? I mean, I did realise then this is not normal that to behave like this. And uh, so I... I mean, we had a very nice time. I remember that time in a very positive light because we were so proud that we were like a little family and we had that little baby and we loved her so much. Um, but I also remember it was hard being on my own for, mm. for that much of the day. So how long were you there for? When uh, we were there for a couple of... We were there for a long time and with her we were there for a, a year. Okay, and so was this all the time you had been doing politics at the same time, or did you take some I worked time in the off? European Parliament at the time uh, as an assistant, um, and that's where I had my, my first child. Oh, that's, well, that's, but yeah. I was very planned. I really wanted to become a mum. It's one thing I, I knew I always wanted, and I had this idea that I wanted my first child before I was 30. So obviously I was 29 and <laughs> 11 months when I had her. Um, so that was, uh, that was part of the plan. So we were extremely happy and felt very happy that everything went so smooth and uh, and she was so lovely it's funny I, i'm smiling when you said that because i'm a bit like that so when i had my last one i was i'd worked out exactly when i could have him so that i would still not be 40 so it's like <laughs> it's like 39 and nine months or whatever well, it's like you you are like you've got a three-month window so you're like in a different category i mean to have five that's just so impressive is it though yes it is yes it is i mean two i have two children and I always wanted number three because I also come from a background of three children I just seemed, I didn't have time that third one <laughs> I'm not just, sure I have time to no. that, well you, you seem to to manage <laughs> I do sometimes we'll be like going somewhere and I'll look behind and I'm like oh my god it's like they've all multiplied I, do, I feel like I don't remember each individual new person coming they're just sort of all here now <laughs> like a, a massive group yeah. but I, I mean, remember <laughs> when my kids were small and I had my nephew who's a, a boy all of them, when I sometimes had him with me or for some reason we were going out with him, I just pretended he was my son and I had three. <laughs> and I was very, I, was, I loved, I, I loved to bet the big family is quite an impressive uh, unit. It's definitely quite a defining thing, yeah. I think. I think for all of my kids, I can see that it'll play quite a big part in what happens next. It's just, yeah, there's just a sort of atmosphere of that household that you, I think there's a love-hate thing, really, of just the... The chaos of it, but also the glory in that too. Yeah, the chaos and the love, and they will always look after each other. I think it's amazing. Yeah, and I think it's always there's just always something happening, which I think is quite nice. I find that quite addictive. Yeah, and also you have to give up being perfect. Yeah, completely. you have to give up having a perfect house where everything is in order and that everything has its own place mm. and that everyone does what they have, but does what they have to do, and that. There's no arguments. You have to give up on that whole idea, mm. which I think is so important. Important for women who work and have children at the same time, or if just if you have loads of children, it's so important to give up being perfect. Yes, I think that's very true. And I suppose if you're a mum, I wonder how that must have felt then to have had gone from a house where there were three kids that she had to manage and then just being the two of you. That's and we were only two of me and my brother. And uh, it was, we, we, I think she was so good at creating a family vibe mm. with us and of course also my sister when she was there. She was very good at creating moments where we were one family and creating 
that uh, it was very hard for her. I know that now. I couldn't see it then. Mm. Uh, but it, she was very good at creating those moments. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it's really special and there's a lot of love there, which I think gets yeah, you through a absolutely. lot. Yeah, absolutely. And also she did something which I always liked, that she invited our friends to be with us so our ah, friends yeah. could come with us on holiday. And it was a very wise move of her because then she didn't have to entertain us so much because we had friends on holiday. So we were always the household, even though we had didn't have the biggest flat. We were always the place where people would come. Yeah, that's so a So you'd have move. loads of kids on the sofa all the time. People could always come for dinner and they always felt very welcome. Uh, so I think that was a super smart move. And it was the same in my household. Even when I was prime minister, I would come home and there'd be, just be like loads of kids in the house. <laughs> I mean, teenagers everywhere having a nap in one sofa, sitting at the, <laughs> uh, the table. And I would come in and having done something really important that day, or I would think that that was important. And some kids would be asking me, Hele, Hele, do you know where the ham is or something like that? So it was always like that. And I, I found so much, I mean, happiness in, and it takes you down to the earth immediately when you come in over that thread, to the, or you open the door and they ask you weird things. And it's so fun, so much fun and so grounding. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Yeah, I, I think that's great. So this is during the, the time that you were Prime Minister of Denmark, which of course we haven't quite got to yet, but that's, do you think that really helped you then with having that, the intensity of that day job, being able to come home and there's just all yes, that happening? Yes, people always ask me, how was it not hard to have children? I mean, my children were quite small when I became the leader of the party. Mm. I was leader of the party for 10 years, so they were quite small and didn't quite understand what was uh, what was going on. And we laugh about that now because they were like a little bit, There was so much happening. It's only now that they're seeing what actually happened. Yeah. So they were quite small. And it was hard. It was very hard to make the ends meet and just be try to be a good parent and try to be a good leader of the opposition and piece it all together. My God, it was hard. And I don't want to say that it wasn't. But it was also extremely healthy for me to come home and just be mum, to come home and you know, be asked about normal things and discuss normal things with them, what happened in their school today. It was such a break for my brain mm. to have to deal with those questions. And I always made quite sure that I didn't bring politics into the dinner table and didn't talk about that all the time because politics overwhelming for children mm. and it's can be very hard place to, to put your brain. So I try to keep that a little bit away from them Um succeeding sometimes sometimes not but it was um it was a place of peace for me just to be with them so just as a bit of a timeline so you your second baby you've moved back to denmark you moved back baby. to denmark um and uh, yes and no because then i managed to get myself elected for the european parliament so then we actually moved back to brussels so we were in denmark for a short while and while i was campaigning i was actually heavily preg- pregnant which was so hard And then wow. just started in, in the European Parliament, came there with my big pregnant belly and uh, tried to make myself, you know, understand what was going on in the European Parliament as a new politician. So it was really hard. Yeah. Uh, but had my, had her, the, my youngest daughter had her in Brussels as well um, by the same midwife. Uh, so back in Brussels mm-hmm. and we stayed there for five years then, uh, having a really great time, me as a member of the European Parliament and my husband working. So after the five years there, you moved back to Denmark then and that's when yeah. you became the leader. That's of... when I became the leader. And uh, yeah, uh, our youngest... So your children are only like four, five yes, and seven Yes, youngest was like yeah, five, six. Uh, so very, very young. So when you look back on the, that time, do you feel like you were running on a sort of crazy adrenaline of just getting things done. Yeah, and... I was kind of running on a crazy adrenaline. And it's funny because there are certain parts of that life with two children, five and eight, mm. running for leadership in my party, uh, running the household to, because Steve was working in, in other countries, coming home over the weekends. It was a bit crazy time. Mm. And some of it I can't remember. Mm. And I think that's because you are running on an, an adrenaline which is... It was a happy time, and I remember it as a happy time, but there are parts of it I, I can't really remember because you're so focused on doing so many things. I remember sleeping really well because I was just totally exhausted when, yeah. <laughs> when I went to bed. But I tried so hard to be a, a good parent, so I had two things, work and the children, That was and sometimes seeing friends, but that was all I could, could focus on. I, never, I didn't go to the cinema for 10 years. I didn't do any cultural things. Uh, I missed all that. I mean, mm. I love to do cultural things, go to a concert, listen to live music. I did very, very few of those things. So you just squeeze out everything that is not completely necessary to what I had to do. I'd imagine it's quite hard to set work hours for that kind of thing. Does it, 
Yeah, and I know you, that you say you keep the politics out of home when you're home, but are you is it something where is it easier to say I need to finish at this time and be home for that time? I, I became extremely good at finishing uh, quite early. In, mm. I had is to this pick, for both things, the leader of the opposition yeah, and, and yeah, both things. I, and I changed the schedule on how politics would work because sometimes I had I ha- my mum helped us a lot in those years but sometimes I simply had to pick them up from school or from their um their daycare at four or five things close really early in Denmark mm. the work the work day finished at four or five so I had to rush out of the office so many times I had to just insist that we started a little bit earlier in the day got done by four so I could rush out of the door and, and pick the kids up mm. and I did that and I changed the, the schedule and because I was the leader I had the power to do that because when you are running all the meetings and setting all the meetings yourself, you can actually decide the schedule. And that's why I think we should ask from leaders to set a schedule that is where women can manage within that schedule. Why set a meeting from six to seven? It's a really hard time for, for women. And, really and hard. So I've, for my own life, I had to start organizing the meeting schedule in the office in a way that I could that I could cope with that. And that meant... The, the hours between five and eight were not meetings. Yeah, off limits. For uh, that. They were, it was off limits. I mean, luckily I worked with people who had children themselves, also men, and they had the same feeling. So you, it was perfectly fine to phone someone and say, it's fine if you can't speak right now, can I phone later? Mm. So it was perfectly fine to, to use your children and your family life as a really perfectly fine excuse, I'm just putting the kids to bed, can I phone yeah. you later? Or the dinner's just on the table. And I think that should be how it is if you work in very busy lives where you don't have office hours like that. Yeah. You need to have some time which is off limits and where it's a bit sacred. Yeah, I think sometimes um, in in very sort of high-powered workplaces, there's a sort of expectation that if you somehow want to try and balance it with having a bit of a home life it's like saying you're not as dedicated to the job as you are if you just give yourself over to it like 24 7 I think it's really old-fashioned sort of a it's super old-fashioned and I've I just found that it was relief in the whole organization yeah. when I started setting those boundaries that there was something that we didn't talk so much about but it was between five and eight were like the sacred hours where yeah. we would try not to disturb each other uh, unless it was very, very important. Um, but then after that, you can start talking. Then after yeah. eight or nine, you could start having chats again or uh, answering your emails or doing stuff. But it is important that, that children also feel that those hours are, are theirs, that they yeah. can, that's where they can, you can have the fighting, that's where you can have the dinner, that's when you read the stories and do the homework mm-hmm. and all these things. It is very important that they feel that the time is given to them as well. well. I take it even broader than that as well, because I think that if you, for some people, if you give yourself over to a job, you can actually hide behind that busyness as well and not deal with other things. So, you know, people that aren't parents still benefit from having time set aside that's just for living, see yeah. a friend, play with your pet, do whatever it is that is part of your so life. So important. And actually, you know, you don't get congratulated at the end of 20 years hard work if you haven't done those things, you know? It's just, no. The one who's carrying the weight of it ends up being the individual, really. And I, I suppose it's, it's, this is not... But obviously, men want to parent too. But as you were the first female um, head of the opposition and uh, the first female PM, I wonder if it is significant that, that that did come from a woman because I suppose we have got this 
unconscious bias towards people in those um, positions tending to be men. Absolutely, and that's why it was so important that we did that and that, mm. that I was part of that change, and I can see it now. I think it's a, it actually became a change in how Parliament works, that it was more... It was clearer to all of us that we could end parliamentary business at five. We didn't have to go on into the evening and vote into the evening. You can change that you vote at 12 o'clock in the daytime rather than 12 o'clock uh, in the evening. So there is ways of there are ways of changing parliamentary schedules so they fit more into family life. And that will benefit women, of course, but it will also benefit men. So I think it was part of that change, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, both in how the, the leader's office work, but how the prime minister's office work, but also in a way how parliament works. Not only me, but loads of women who start asking, can we actually organise parliamentary business in a different way? Yeah, so it's this thinking about it. So you became leader of the opposition with still very young children. Is that something that you had your eye on from, I suppose, yeah, you said you were campaigning when you were heavily pregnant, but was there any part of you when you were having a baby that worried you might, it might take the edge off that sort of ambition? Um, no, I never felt that. No, I always nice. felt I could combine having children with what, whatever I wanted to do in my career. And I think that came from my mum as well. She was always, I think also because of the divorce, where her um, economic life was very influenced by, by that or her, her, the way what she could do in her private life with her, the money that she had. She always said to me and my sister, you have to be independent. You have to make your own money. And it's such an old-fashioned thing to say. But it was also a very clever thing to say to us that we had to be economically independent. So I always knew that I had to work. And I, always, I was very ambitious. So I never thought I couldn't combine being ambitious and having a career with also having children. Mm. I, I saw that with my mum, who was single, uh, raising us. And... Uh, I never doubted that I could do that myself. No, that's wonderful. It's interesting because for some women, um, having having a baby sort of clarifies things, but there are definitely other women like you where it, it's almost like, right, strap that baby to my back, I'm still headed in that same direction. Yeah, I really was, but it's also because it's a different system. I mean, Denmark is a different system. There's a there's much better childcare mm. and everyone puts their children into childcare and it's affordable for everyone. Um, so... It's a completely different system where more women are in the labour market. So yeah. that also, it's it's not so big a question whether you are working or not. Everyone tries to combine, uh, or many, many women tries to combine a career with having children as well. Yeah, but that's such a big shift. It's a, you know, if we had something like that here, I imagine the difference it would make to everybody if it was just something that wasn't such a big question or it wasn't two people sat opposite each other saying, well, I think you've got more earning potential than me, so I'll stay at home with the kids. Exactly. And, and I think there's three things here that makes a difference. Uh, first of all, the working hours. Mm. If if the working hours finished at four or five, it would be much more manageable. Yeah. Then affordable childcare for everyone. Yeah. And then, of course, the transport. People spend a lot of time tra transporting themselves uh, to and from work. So those three things would make a huge difference difference in, in women's lives. And I hope that there will be a time where there will be more affordable childcare. So even when women don't make the same as their husbands, which they often do not, mm -hmm. it can still they can still contribute to the household economy uh, and afford the childcare. Mm. Yeah, and that would just be it would just be mammoth really. So if you had your sort of I suppose political awakening during your teenage years, could you see the same thing happening with your girls while you were leader? 
I mean, they're very politically awake. I mean, they're so advanced. They are from the woke generation. They're so advanced. And one of the things that we discussed much more in, in their generation than before was, is, of course, climate change and the, the political mood, mood that is changing and, you know, the whole gender issues and the Me Too movements. And uh, so there's they're so much more woke and they understand much more about these things than, than I and my generation ever did. And I appreciate having that in my life now because I get educated every day, day by my children and uh, stay a little bit woke with them. Uh, so that's that's how they're thinking about things. Yeah. They're extremely political, but in their own way, not in a party political way, but in in all aspects of, of, of life. Um, this uh, Black Lives Matter movement and the mm. Me Too movement had has had a big impact in their political thinking. Yeah, I can see the exact same thing in my eldest, who's going to be 17 tomorrow, that he he's very engaged in exactly the same way, and it's brilliant because... I don't know how you'd really encourage that, but I think it just seems to be happening. They, they do it by themselves and also by their generation and the conversations they're having. Yeah. And, and, and also, to. I don't know if we did this con- conscious, in a conscious way. I don't think we did, but we tried not to make gender the most defining part of our children. And it's so easy to make gender the most defining part. But it became very clear to us from from their early age that they were not like that. I mean, our oldest daughter, she was basically a boy. She was 12 years old. And I say that. she We will even talk about that, her and I. Um, the way she dressed, what she was playing, the game she was playing, the people she was uh, playing with. I mean, so I think this... This whole gender awareness is much stronger with the younger generation. And it's something that I have not had so clear language for, but I think that without even discussing it so much, we brought them up in a, in not a gender-neutral way, but in a way where gender wasn't the most defining part of who they were. Oh, that's such a brilliant way of putting it, because that's exactly how I feel as well, but I've never sort of thought of it in such clear terms. But that's exactly... And maybe it's because I ended up having lots of the same gender. I know. It became even more of a thing to me of just, why is there this expectation of what that means? Or or even what people think I go home to. You know, if I if I met someone I didn't know and they'd say, you know, your children, and I'd say, oh, it's five. And then they go, five boys. Oh, I, I literally had someone this week say to me, I feel sorry for you. And I'm like, well, five of anything, you know, it's just like... Yeah. Just, I don't, I don't know what that, what the association is with any of it. I think I just, the association really, is that gender is the most defining thing about a person. Which is so boring. It's no wonder so it's, boring. No wonder it needs a shake-up. Yeah, like, it needs a shake-up like, because I, 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 I would imagine that your five boys, they're very different. Mm. And they will turn out very different. They'll be interested in very different things. And the worst thing that could happen, and I think actually this is a bigger problem for boys than for girls, is that they get put into a box and get limited from a very early age in what they can wear, what, which games they can play, who they can play with, who, which emotions they can have. Mm. I think girls have a wider... They have easier access to, to get some of the boys' uh, toys and look like boys and do what they want. Uh, if you even got a name for it, you can be a tomboy, which is a yeah. really weird expression. But at least <laughs> there's a, a word for it, which is not derogatory. It's so true. Um, but if uh, boys don't even have a word for that. No. Uh, only words that are derogatory. Yeah. So I think it's harder for boys to have gender defining their whole being. And I think our, we as parents should try not to. Yeah. No, that's and so we brilliant. won't be perfect. Or, but we should just try a little bit not to. Uh, 
And it was very clear to us from the very beginning that our oldest daughter, she just wants to go her own ways. I mean, she only wants to wear mud-colored clothes. She had short hair. She played with boys' toys all the time. And we just had to look at it and say, wow, what, a, what an individual we have in front of us here. <laughs> and we were like amazed. This is so great. Yeah, but it's also a really good introduction to parenthood because it's like, oh, I had this idea of who I was going to have and what we might do. And, you know, oh, I'm going to make sure my kid, you know, I don't know, watches all the classic cinema and we're not going to ever listen to kiddie music. We're going to do this. And then actually they turn up and they're like, oh, you're you. Yeah, and exactly. we're going to do what you want. You want to, yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, we really felt like that with our children, that they were just themselves. And yeah. that's why I always react towards this word upbring. How do you bring up your children? I'm not sure I brought them up. I, you know, I was there, but, <laughs> but they were like people that mm. we just had to engage with and try to teach as much as we could and have as many conversations with as we, we could. Mm. And, um, and they taught us as much as we taught them. Well, yeah, and I, I suppose your, your biggest fear would probably, and actually it turned out to be something I got quite worried about as well, as just having a kid that's quite sort of apathetic and not really thinks very much about anything. I think the, so long as they've got a personality and character, it's just wonderful. Yeah. But imagine for you as well, you'd be thinking, you know, because they you know, might have had a good quality of life and you're off doing your thing, but then you come home and you say they're all hanging around and where's the ham and things. But you want them to also be engaged and be interested and... I suppose that's not something you can really No, you can't. Teach. You can't teach that. And I was always worried that because my husband and I were so engaged in everything and we discussed everything and everything was important also from a political mm. perspective, that that would scare them off yeah, somehow. Rebel. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that they wouldn't engage in that. And I do think that we, to a certain degree, have scared them off going into political life because they've seen the downside of that. Mm. Um but I think they, luckily, we haven't scared them off, off about, of having opinions about things mm. and, and thinking that they can be part of a change and discussing things and being part of their, their own community. So they're still engaged in who, who, their own community and how they can be part of that, that change. Which is actually a gift for life, actually, because once you can think about the power of one, um, I remember speaking to somebody once who'd had mental health issues and she said that what really saved her was finding getting involved in an issue bigger than herself finding a cause bigger than herself yeah and if you can do that it does actually mean you've always got a reason to get out of bed really absolutely no it's so important particularly if you are you come from a privileged background and uh, you have all those tools it is important to use all those tools not to only think about yourself mm. And uh, one thing I'm a little bit worried about with young people, not my own in particular, is that they get engaged in all these woke issues. But the real bread and butter issues, like uh, how do we make a fair economy or how do we make sure that our transport is working for women? How do we build, how, how do we do housing planning? Like the real issues that also impact our lives will not be interesting to them, but maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong. I, th I, I think you are. Cause that, that sort of reminds me a bit like when someone says, I don't know, Black Lives Matter, and then they'll say, well, it's fine, to, but what about all this happening over here? It's like, well, everybody's capable of yeah. being concerned about lots of things at once. Of and, course they are. You know. No, you're absolutely right in pulling me up on that. They, of course we are. And, and maybe it's like uh, Generation X looking at the next generation saying, who are they as concerned as, as yeah, we yeah. were? And I'm, I'm worried about being like that. Yeah, well, no, yeah. but I think it's passing the baton a bit, isn't it? It's like... Yeah, can, can you please, please take yeah. it? <laughs> You've got to take care of lots of stuff yeah. here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Can you please be responsible? I'm going to go and do some jigsaw yeah. puzzles, so you've got to really be a quick... Don't forget transport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because transport... 
what meets a lot to women as well. It's a women's issue, uh, which housing is as well. No, and also I, I hope that the next generation will not be indifferent, will not be so black and white so they can't meet. Is that something that we just we discussed earlier on? This about it's so important that you engage with people you don't agree with and yes. don't cancel them and really in, engage with people and understand that everyone comes with their background and they, on yeah. the, based on that background, they form certain opinions and opinions can change over a lifetime. We're not set in stone yeah. and we need to just engage with each other and try to understand where we're coming from. Yeah, but a lot, some of that as well can be led by example, can't it? I remember one time one of... One of them had a little friend over for a play date and the kid came out with something like, gay people burn in hell. And rather than just being like, you know, you're not coming around again. I was like, well, where do you hear that? And yeah. what are we talking about here? And what do you think that means? And, you know, we sort of just discussed it. And yeah, just talk it out about and, yeah. it without starting hating someone because yeah. they say something which is not quite right or inappropriate. I, I, I really want them to do that. And I yeah. hope they will do that. Uh, that's how... I, that's my own background. I come from the wrong side of the tracks in Copenhagen. I come from, um, you know, the the COVID epicenter in, in Denmark right now, um, which says a lot about how people live there as well. And it was always very important for me because I work there, you know, my the, this, the jobs that you do when you're, you're a kid and you meet so many different people. Mm. And it's just important for me that all kids understand not that they're not in a bubble and they have to listen to people outside their own bubble. Well, talking of the outside of bubble, how was it when you were CEO of the Save the Children charity? That must have... Because you seem like such an optimistic and positive person, but that must have just left you open to so many stories from so many yeah, places. Yeah, it was a bit of... Even for an optimistic person yeah. like myself, it was very hard. And I often had to remind myself... That the world actually gets better every day. Okay, that's. A I good mean, there is motto. climate change, and that sets us back enormously. But if you look at children, for example, every day children are better educated, they are healthier. Uh, we get more equality for for girls, so the world gets better every day for children. And that's a good thing to remember because it also reminds us that it is actually worthwhile trying to change the world for the better and mm. and get that pace up. Uh, so, so I often had to remind myself that when I've visited a refugee camp somewhere and I've seen so bad conditions for people and seen mothers holding up um, in in conditions that you thought would, would not be possible and they're holding up, they're hold, holding up for their children, they're fighting for their children and I think women are so strong in very difficult circumstances. Do you think it was a job that you could have seen yourself doing when your children were younger would it have been a bit I could have much? but I it, it, sometimes it was hard to let go of some of the children I, I met and you know when you sit with a small child which I did in in Yemen and it was so obvious that I sat with this child she was she was four months old but she looked like she was just born yesterday and she was so weak and we I knew when I sat with her that if she didn't get the help that day she wouldn't survive the day. But it also makes it very real what you can do to help. Mm. And if you get those nutritional packages to, to these children in time, and if we help get that, we as the global population, we will actually be able to save children. Mm. Um, if we get their vaccinations to them, um, we will be able to help them. And for them, it's it could be a matter of, of living that day because they give 
they get that nutritional package that we can provide them with. So it, it made a lot of sense to me what Save the Children was doing. It made a lot of sense to me what we as a global community can do for those uh, mm. children. But it taught me a lot about human suffering, uh, violence against children, which will always be part of what I'm, I will be working um, to end. Uh, so it taught me a lot about the suffering of children globally. Mm. I think it's, um, it's, it's a good way to look at it that the world gets better every day because I think otherwise the enormity of things can just sometimes drown you a bit. It can drown you completely. That's why it is important for us to remember that. Mm. The world gets better every day. Children get wealthier, healthier and better educated yeah. every day. And uh, we can help that progress. Yeah, and that's a good thing as well to say to your girls because, you know, for, the, for their generation, there is a a lot going on and it's really easy to feel like how how are they going to fathom it when things have some things do seem pretty pretty dire but actually there's still a lot of reasons to be hopeful and optimistic absolutely and i hope i mean they're very impacted of course uh, by climate change and i i would as well would be as well if i were their age and there's mm. not su they're not super impressed by my generation and how we sort of what we've given to them to deal with mm. and uh, we have to respect that there's they're very worried and we have to act on it now but I also hope that they can keep their optimism because there's nothing more it will stop you in your stride if you are if you're too pessimistic mm. well as someone who sounds like they always like get a bit of a bit between their teeth and have a real sort of forward motion how hard has it been at the times when you've moved on into other areas like when you left politics or when you left save the children are those periods of time that were really tricky or did it always feel like that forward momentum? It felt like there was a forward momentum, but also not without worry. Mm. Um, when you start being a prime minister, it's a very, very difficult time in your life. Uh, it was in my life, and I know it's, it's for other prime ministers as well. And I wouldn't say that you get depressed, but it's a, it's a very blue time. Because everything just goes. Uh, I was traveling around in a nice car. You have the security. You have all the help from your staff. You have the prestige of being a prime minister. And then from one day to the next, it just stops. Mm. And uh, you have to find resources in yourself to put one foot in front of the other and, and start living a new life. Mm. And it was very physical for me because I... I took the bus those days and I hadn't taken the bus for a very long time. So I had to work out how do you buy a ticket? How do you do all these things and go out and take the bus? And people were looking at me and saying, hello, Hilly, what are you doing here? Nice <laughs> to see you here. People were so nice uh, to me and have always been. Um, so people were really fun. And I started biking around Copenhagen and it was just a very emotional time where you go through a phase. And I learned as a woman, but also as a, as an ex-politician, that it can be very healthy to go through that, those phases and live them a little bit and be a little bit sad and allow yourself to be soft and sad in those uh, moments and watch a little bit too much TV and just live that blue time mm. and not deny it. Well, that's actually a really good lesson as well, isn't it? If you can actually run into that feeling and just, as you say, just just live that. Live it and, and don't try to run away from it or, mm. and see the good things. I mean, my friends, they were calling me saying, now we have to go out for drinks and, uh, <laughs> you know... Go to the cinema. Yeah, go to the cinema, <laughs> do those things, go out and listen to live music, which mm. I did as well. So there were so many opportunities in it as well. And, and since then, I really found also a new voice and found myself in a different way because when you're a prime minister and in politics particularly as a woman 
I found that I had to be much more controlled in who I was and what I looked like. And I could let go a little bit more after that. I became much more loose. And people are saying, talking a lot about that in Denmark where I posted stuff on Instagram that I wouldn't have done when I was prime minister. So you can also find another side to yourself. And I think yeah. particularly for a woman in my 50s, it's been, it's been fun uh, getting in contact with that other side of myself. And I, I think that it's, it's interesting when life have different chapters yeah. and you find new sides of yourself in each chapter and that um, you learn new things about yourself, which I certainly have. So I've allowed myself to go through the different phases and uh, there'll be ups and downs, but to learn a little bit about myself. Yeah, and is that when you left Denmark as well after that? Yeah, I left Denmark when I became CEO of Save the Children, which was amazing as well, to, to leave that and just go to London, you know, reinvigorate old friendships and see new people and be part of a new community in London. It's been extremely uh, helpful for me getting out of politics and into something completely new and, and reinvent myself. Because if you are prime minister from a small country, nobody knows you in London. I mean, it's just nobody. I mean, so, and that's quite helpful as well that you come in a way with a clean slate. People have to understand you. They have to know you from, from scratch. And that was very helpful. Have you not got a T-shirt then that says, I was the first female? I should, find, I should find that T-shirt. I would definitely yeah, get one yeah. printed if yeah. I were you. <laughs> one of those really big badges or yeah. something. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty T-shirt worthy slogan, I think. How do you find London living? Do you like it? I love to live in London. I love to, to go back and forth uh, mm. to Copenhagen, to London. It's a, it's a very nice combination, actually, mm. to, to do both those uh, things. Then we go to Wales sometimes, or, or did before COVID, mm. uh, which is a great place as well so I feel very privileged to have access to different communities in different parts of the world Wales uh, Copenhagen London it's, it's, it feels amazing actually oh and I, yeah. I think I really I, know that, that I end up being the last person who really loved living in London and even taking the tube in in the morning and stuff <laughs> you really love transport by the way <laughs> With our buses, trains, jeeps. <laughs> I do love. I do love. I hope your girls listen to this because, like, transport is like a key issue here. It's so, it's so important. It's so important. I, I am the public transport person. I'm a bit of a nerd like that. I love public transport. But you have, you've discovered my nerdiness. I love. I love to look at city map and find out how I can. City get map from, is my favorite app. Yeah, like bar none. And find out how I can get from A to B in public transport. It's and then, brilliant. And then walk a bit and take a bus somewhere. I mean, I become such a transport nerd <laughs> that's how I discovered London in public transport yeah basically. but I love public to me public transport has always been my independence from when I was a teenager like hop on I, the tube get on the bus be that somewhere was what else it, what it was for me when, mm. the, when the train came to my hometown it, well, there wasn't always a train and then it suddenly came and we could go into town yeah and we could take the night bus home after we'd been like in town the whole night all those things. Maybe I'm a public transport nerd. No, no, but you know as well, the good thing about public transport is that you could get a sort of slight anonymity. And I always feel when I'm on there, part of me connects back to being about 16, 17. I still can get it's that exactly little like, fizz how I feel. excitement about yeah. it. Yeah, exactly how I feel when yeah. I sit on a train. I'm so happy. Yeah, me too. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and now we, we, we live in London. We don't have a car here. We have a car in Wales, but we don't have a car here. So I actually use public transport quite a lot. I can see why it's close to your yeah. heart. It's <laughs> <laughs> a podcast about Portland. Oh dear. Well, I'm going to leave you in a minute, but I just wanted to, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I, do you think you'll always be involved in something somewhere? Yes, I feel I'll always be involved in 
democracy, um, which I've been writing about, uh, female issues. What do, you mean, what do you mean writing as in writing a book? Um, no, just a, I would more call it a pamphlet. But we, um, and female issues, like the whole Me Too movement has sparked something new in me. Uh, and then children and, and violence against children. There, this is something that will always, one way or the other, be, be engaged in. And pe- children's voice. Mm. I'm so keen for children to have a voice and that we ask them and young people that they have a voice about their own lives. Yeah. Uh, so I think they'll always be involved in that. And one thing I'm very engaged in now, that after COVID, how do we go back to work? Yeah. And um, I really want to, us to think about how women and men will prefer to go back to work and what's the difference there? Mm. Because I'm seeing a little bit that when they're doing surveys in big, big, big uh, corporations, they ask people, do you want to go back to the office? And men want to go back to the office. Uh, women want to stay at home. But we also know that in COVID, women have done much more of the household chores than, yeah. than men. So I'm a little bit worried about a divided labor market where men go in, they have a great time in the office and yeah. they go to the pub after work and men, women stay home and take on more of the household chores and yeah. we get a divided labor market. So that's one of the things that I'm super keen to get into the corporate boardrooms right now. Yeah. And we'll be working a little bit to do uh, in 21. Well, I think that's really key. I think... We're already seeing that, aren't we? And knowing that as well, women who are working from home tend to be working kitchen tables, you know, communal spaces, whereas men tend to have had an office space or somewhere they go to as well. They have an office space. And I saw this survey, I think it was McKinsey doing a survey where they saw that the interruptions of women's paid work Mm. had gone up 50%, uh, also compared to men's paid work. And we just have to be careful because women are very good at being disturbed when they're working. I'm very good at being disturbed when I'm working because I'm so used to it from when mm. my kids were small. I could sit at the kitchen table. The kids could come in and ask something, go out into the and play again, and I could carry on working. And women are very good at being disturbed, but we also need to create a little bit of a space for ourselves. And women have to be a little bit aware of these issues, particularly if we, we're going to start working more from home. Yeah, I think you're right about being aware of it, actually, and knowing what, what works for you and what you can hope to achieve as well, so that they feel they're given a bit of agency about what, what they're entitled to. Yeah, and women have to t- start a conversation also in their homes about the paid work and mm. all the unpaid work. Uh, obviously, on a global basis, women do 75% of all the unpaid work. Mm. And uh, I saw this survey that, that has gone up in the U.S., by one hour, uh, so it is likely to be the same in the UK and, and other countries. So we have to look a little bit uh, in that direction as women, but also men, because they're, they're risking getting squeezed out of the household completely if they're not careful. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think everybody wants that balance, actually. It's not about saying men don't want to do those things. It's just about, it's like when you said when you change things when you were in Parliament and people, everybody was a bit relieved. Like, well, actually, we want that time. We want to be able to... Yeah, and I want to underline, it wasn't only me, but but there was a direction of travel where I could support it from where I was in those years. And I do think it's so important that women who work and have children, Mm -hmm. that they they allow themselves to take their children's needs and the family's needs into how we organise our work. Because that will actually change for everyone, change for the better for everyone. So we shouldn't leave our children at home or pretend we don't have children or a family life that we are engaged in. We should take those priorities 
into the labour market. And that way we will change how we work, which will benefit all of us. Well, that sounds like a really positive way to finish. I, I wouldn't sign me up. I would. You've <laughs> yeah. got a very infectious energy. I definitely think. Thank you. Sophie. No, it's a good thing. I mean, it does go back to travel. It's all this forward motion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're your own tube or something. <laughs> you know, you can get quite a good uh, tube map puzzle, but actually, I wouldn't suggest it. It's got loads of white bits. or just annoy Yeah, you. too many white yeah, bits. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting to connect the lines. Of course, you get to know all the lines yeah, really well. Exactly. That's a good. That's. <laughs> I'll, I'll be on the lookout for that. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. See, how lovely was that? What a lovely, positive, outward-looking woman Hella is. It was so inspiring and infectious that Claire, my producer, and I, we both left her house feeling really the sort of fizzy buzz of positivity and can-do spirit. I like a bit of that, and I hope I gave you a little bit of that today while you've been listening as well. So thank you to Hella, thank you to you as ever. Kaniki has been snoozing this entire time, so you don't have to worry about him. He's fine for now. And next week, I've got a couple of options. I'm actually going to make you wait and see. They're both good, so I just, yeah, what mood am I in? I'll go with the flow. I'll sense these things. I try to be a little bit, you know, instinctive about this stuff. And in the meantime, stay happy, people. Stay positive. I hope everything's going all right for you. Please do continue to leave your comments and your suggestions for other people to speak to. I'm forever casting my net, as you know. And uh, some of my favourite, favourite conversations have been suggestions through other people. And uh, it's good for me. Good for me to think outside of my usual little list. So, yeah, keep challenging me, please. I like your suggestions. I like you being here. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm going to spend some time with my cat while it's quiet. Hasn't it been nice? Look, my introduction and my outro. I haven't had any small people interrupt me. And even my cat's being well behaved. Today is a good day. I'll see you in a week or so. Look after yourselves. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.